You put up the first slide, Paul. As Colin has said, we're continuing our, our series today of looking at the cross through different angles. And so far we've looked at the cross and wisdom, evil, power, suffering, and today we're going to think of the cross and ambition. Before that, we, we go, let's pray just a little bit. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us blind in this fallen world, but that you've give, you have given us your word to tell us about your son and your gospel. Send your spirits now, please, and help us to listen and be convicted and are encouraged to love you and others more. Amen. I want to start today with a quote from Donald Trump. I thought that might get a reaction. Uh, He says this, Get going. Move forward. Aim high, plan a takeoff. Don't just sit on the runway and hope that someone will come along and push the airplane. It simply won't happen. Change your attitude and gain some altitude. Believe me, you'll love it up here. End of quote. Now, Mr. Trump has a lot of things been said about him for the last year, and I'm not going to get into any of that. But because he's in the news, I thought it'd be fun to use something from him to, to make my point. And I think what, some of what I'm about to say anyway lies behind his appeal to so many people. And it's this, that here, at least, he is preaching a philosophy that is accepted by a good majority of the Western world today, including, unfortunately, some Christians. And it's this. Don't hide your ambitions. Instead, embrace them, because you can do it. Dream big and don't wait for others to make it happen. Just make it happen. And in these words of his here, he is preaching what is a very standard call to action. It's a a basic part of what I call the self-help gospel. That is so popular these days. And most of us don't even call that stuff self-help anymore. I remember having conversations with people a few years ago, and they'd be telling me something like, oh, I read this book, and it's really encouraged me to try something new. Or I've always had a dream about doing this thing, and I was reading this book, and, you know, I feel like I'm going to go for it. But nowadays, people don't start with those conversations by telling you about some book they read. Those phrases are just part and parcel of everyday life. I just got to make it happen, they'll say. Or ain't no one else going to do for me. Or I just need to do this one thing for myself. And look, don't get me wrong, you know, there's, there is a part of all that that's very healthy, and I, hopefully that will become clear as I go on. But the self-help gospel is not our gospel. And its aims are not our aims. And I've talked about this kind of thing before, and uh, certainly every time, well, not every time, but I'm sure Christoph has been talking about it for years. I've heard some of his older sermons. And no doubt we will be talking about it again and again until the day comes when this kind of message is not one that either I or the people in my congregation face in their everyday life. Because this message robs us or just confuses us of the good news that is in Jesus Christ. 
So until I don't hear it anymore, I will talk about how this type of message is really a message about individualism that denies our dependency on God. It's a message that denies our call to be a part of the community of God. And it's a message that pushes people to seek their identity and our self-worth from what they do or don't do or what they achieve rather than from the gospel of Christ which tells us that our identity and our self-worth comes from the fact that we are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. A reality that comes to us through faith in Christ and not anything that we do or don't do. But today... We're talking about the cross and ambition. And the reason that I started off with all of that is that the quote is, well, firstly, it's so popular, and I just want to undermine it as much as I can. But mostly, I want you to see that it uses this idea of ambition to make its point. Personal ambitions, big ones, small ones, everyday ones are central to many of the alternative Gospels um, that are out there. The Trump quote plays off of a fact that is true for every single one of us. We are ambitious. We all have ambitions. We all have desires for ourselves that we want to see happen. Now, you may say, well, hold on there now, Richie. I just want to see my kids do well. Or I just want Northern Ireland or the world to become a better place. I don't have personal ambitions. Well, that's still an ambition. Uh, You might have, or you've just subcontracted it out onto your kids or your society. It might be focused on you, but they're still your ambitions. So as I've said, what what Mr. Trump has shown us, and he's doing here, and what the self-help movement in general has done, is it is tapped into this fact that we are an ambitious race. And largely ambitions that are unmet, I might add, unsatisfied. There is a universal presence of unmet ambitions within people, and that's one of the reasons why the self-help book industry is so popular. Now, let me be clear again. There's nothing wrong with having ambitions. But here's the thing. And I hope you're not surprised by this. I don't think you will be. But for Christians... Jesus' life and his death change our ambitions. Or more accurately, it's not that the ambitions themselves change, but it's that the the life and death of our Savior changes the purpose of them. So, when you're done listening to this sermon, I suspect if there's any changes to be made, or if you're encouraged to do anything different, it'll be a mixture of giving up some ambitions but keeping the rest, just going after them for a different reason. And as I see it, there are a few ways that an ambition might not be good for a Christian. Two of them show up in the the philosophy that Mr. Trump promotes. I've already mentioned the individualism that is inherent in them. And really the biggest problem with many ambitions is that they're ultimately, they are to reward ourselves. Even at times, an ambition to do great world-changing stuff can be done ultimately for the person who's doing it. But maybe that's not a problem for you. 
it's certainly possible to be unselfish. But even if you avoid having a selfish ambition, there is another problem. And the second big issue, and certainly the self-help gospel is really into this one, and it's that our ambitions can be formed, or sorry, framed in a way that says the only way to go in this life is up. In other words, your ambition is not a worthy one if it doesn't aim to get yourself in a position that is up high. You've got to move past people. Like Donald says, you need to change your attitude to get some altitude. Now again, that's actually focused on yourself. Again, that's all about you. The problem here is that there's no, there's no humility in that. Paul's quite clear in the passage from Philippians. He says, value others above yourself. And if you follow Jesus, he might lead you to what the world considers a high position. But if getting into that position is what you're aiming at, then, my friend, you are not following him. You're following yourself. Right, so, the two biggest problems, then, with ambitions is that when they become, ultimately, anyway, all about you, or if it's all about you becoming great, a big person, a VIP, etc., that's the two biggest problems. But before I move on, let me, let me say this. Don't confuse any of my talk of ambition with only big, long-term plans. For sure, that's a big part of it, what I'm talking about here. But you can have ambitions that only last for a day. You can have small ones. I had an ambition to get up early on Saturday morning. That didn't happen. (laughs) The thing is, is it all about you? Is it all about you getting into a position of greatness? That's the questions you need to be asking. And you can ask that of small ones as well as big ones. Now, so if that's what, what a bad ambition is or made up of, how do you know what a good one is? Well, as with most things in the Christian life, we've got to look to Jesus. And by the way, it's not, uh, you know, this, I don't see them anymore. You know the bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's not what did he do, it's, what, or it's also, sorry, what did he do, what will he do, and what's he doing right now? You know, so there's four of them. I don't think they're all fit in a bracelet, so I wouldn't, and I wonder it didn't stick. Anyway, whatever, the, the crack is, you've got to look to some aspect of Jesus for the answer. And what we see is that in his life, or sorry, in the life and death of Jesus, we are shown a very different way of living and a very different approach to ambitions. This becomes clear if we look at the passages we read earlier, right? Firstly, in Matthew, in a very famous passage, we hear the old familiar verse where Jesus sums up the whole law of God. And what is it? Firstly, and most importantly, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the key here. The two greatest commands in the Bible, upon which all the other commands come from, are love God first and then love everyone. Brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that our ambitions are shaped by these two commands of Jesus. In fact, shaped is probably uh, too small a word. Collapsed is a better word. 
all of our ambitions have to be collapsed into this one grand ambition. Every ambition needs to serve this one that is laid out by Christ here. Because if these commands are what the whole Bible hangs on, then actually the ambition of a Christian is simple. Our aim should be to be people who love God and love everyone around us all the time. It's like Donald says, aim high. And so, I suppose the question is, how do you evaluate our own ambitions? How do you know if this is a good one or a bad one? Well, you ask the question, you've got to ask the question, does this help me to love God or my neighbor? Now, I've got to talk a little bit about love before I go on. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but I want to say it again anyway. Love isn't just a feeling. A lot of people talk about love and, and they see it kind of like, you know, Cupid's arrow going through the heart. It's this random force that strikes two people and overwhelms them and propels them to love each other. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Love is primarily seen in doing things. If you wanted a definition, I heard one recently, it goes like this. Love is an act of the will accompanied with emotion that leads to action towards the object of your love. Love is an act of the will accompanied with emotion that leads to action towards the object of your love. Now, you're likely, you're not going to see that on the inside of a Valentine card, but it works. It does justice to what Jesus is saying here on Matthew. Love, not the Cupid kind, but the Jesus kind, is our ultimate ambition. All other ambitions we have must serve this one. I could leave it there. Probably haven't been talking that long. I could leave it there. But there's more, because as you may remember, we read in Philippians that Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross. Death on a cross. Now, Christoph, our minister, if you're, if you're a visitor here, preached on that passage a number of weeks ago <clears throat> from Philippians. And actually, it's one of my favorite sermons of his. And he made the point that a lot of people focus on the poem about Jesus that's there in verses 6 to 11. But they miss the point because the poem is there to serve a purpose. It's wonderful in and of itself, but it was deliberately there, put there, to inspire us to live like Jesus did. Jesus is held up as an example. His life is held up as an example. I suppose the thing I really want you to see is that what Jesus does here is he turns the world's ideas of purpose, of ambitions, on its head. Because the world will often say that you've got you to gotta go up. The only way is up. You've got to get recognized for what you do. You've got to get congratulations and rewards, and the more you get, the better it is. But Jesus goes in the opposite direction. Jesus moves down twice. Firstly, he gives up the riches and the glory of heaven and is born into an animal's feeding bucket. 
born as a human, born as a nobody. That's the first movement, down. And then he lives life completely for others and for his father. He doesn't take power, power that's available to do what he needs to do. He lives a life of complete service to others and to God all the ways up to dying. That's the second downward movement. The real lesson of the cross with regards to our ambitions is twofold. As I've said, firstly, it's an example of those, the two commands that Matthew has that we've just been talking about. In fact, it's the ultimate example of love for us and love for God. And then secondly, the cross shows us that we can or could go as far as dying for someone in our service and our love for God and for our neighbor. Jesus' teaching teaches us to redirect our ambitions to loving God and others. But the cross gives us an imagination to widen out the possibilities of what that might look in practice all the ways up to dying. To be willing to die for someone, that's the gold standard. And let me tell, let me tell you this, right? I've talked to lads in the Orange Order. I've talked to Sinn Féiners. I've talked to DUPers. Is that how you say it? Duppers. A few Trotskyites. And I disagree with every last one of them. And sometimes I'll talk about Jesus with them and I'll even put a few holes in their argument. And I've even won a few of those arguments. But I may put holes in their logic. But I don't put holes in their life because them boys are willing to go to the wall for what they believe. And when you are that committed to something, it needs more than arguments to convince them to change. And let me say this, right? don't take all of what I'm saying this morning as only to you as an individual. This applies to us as a group as well. If you're thinking about the sermon and what you can do off the back of it, think and pray, how, how might this look in my group of Christian friends? Because you see, if you want Ireland or the UK to be called, without irony or laughter, a Christian country, if you want revival if you want genuine, long-standing peace and reconciliation, then we have to consider the extent to which we will go for Jesus because until we do so, stories about the Easter Rising in 1916 and stories of the Psalm where people did die for what they believe will be far more compelling than anything we tell about Calvary. Now look. I, I believe God is utterly sovereign, even over salvation. People can't come to him without doing something, without him doing something to them. But God uses means. He uses us. And he wants us to think about these things. And if you want an Ireland or a UK like what I've described, then our ambitions have got to be people, to be a people of love for God and for neighbor, and you've got to be willing to be willing to possibly die. It's a scary talk, isn't it? And as I understand it, to some of you, 
I've split you up in two ways here. You mightn't agree with what I'm about to say, but we'll see how I land it anyway. So some of you, particularly those of you who are teenagers or in your 20s, or if you're single and you're looking for the next thing to do, this kind of talk is exciting. You, especially the younger ones among you, are still figuring out who you are and what life's all about. And so, more so than the rest of us, you do a lot of self-examination. And you're acutely aware of your fears. and You know they are a real thing. And you can feel them holding you back. So when I talk about overcoming them and opening up your minds to doing great things for God, up to the point of being willing to die for the cause, that is a conversation you're already having with yourself. And this, though scary, is good stuff. But for the rest of us, and forgive me if, I, if I'm underestimating you here, but for the rest of us, and I include myself here, in one way or another, we have, we've, we've kind of made peace with our fears. We've lived for many years with our shortcomings. And God is good. God is merciful. And we have tasted time and time again his grace and his love. And we know that as weak as we are, as fearful as we can be, he loves us today and he will continue to do so until we die. But one of the side effects of that is that we, at times, can have our fears happily live within us and never challenge them. Don't settle for that. I know that you think there's only so much a person can take. Why put yourself in that situation again and again? Or why attempt to do that thing I tried once, but it was so painful when I tried? Why do that even one more time when I know God loves me? And he does. I'll tell you why. Because that's what he did for us. That's what he did for you. Whatever situation you're called into, whatever scary possibilities this thinking opens up for you, he has already gone ahead and done it. And he's more than happy to walk with us as we attempt the same. And also, you're not alone. As I was saying earlier, one of the big problems with the self-help thinking is you've got to do it by yourself. But that's not true of us. We're in this together. Now, don't do anything mental without telling us, right? Unless it's a spur-of-the-moment thing. In which case, then, you know, off with you. Come back and tell us how it went. I don't have much else to say today, actually. But let me sum it up. And then I'll, and then I'll pray. Very simply, our ambitions must not be for us alone, are aiming to get us above, are aiming to get us above others. They must be aimed at helping us love others and love God. Our ambition in life should be to become a person and a community who loves others and God completely. This should be the ultimate goal of whatever ambitions we have. At the cross, we do not see Jesus doing something for himself alone. We do not see him moving up in life but down all the ways down to dying. So today, as we look at the cross, we should open ourselves up to the possibility that there are opportunities 
to serve God and others in our life that our fears and lack of trust in God are stopping us from doing. This is actually a big step for all of us. But we belong to him who has conquered death and calls us to walk the same path as he. Where we go, he goes. Don't be afraid. Be brave. That's it. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you continually challenge and encourage us to glorify you with all of our lives. Spirit, I pray that you come and give us an imagination for what you think we could do. And not what we think we can do, but what you think. And give us the faith to follow you. Amen.